family. It's an absolute privilege to be introducing you to this wonderful letter of Paul's to the churches in Galatia. I'm, I'm really thrilled to be sharing this this morning. Although it just, it, it just I'm, I, I could spend the next quarter now picking people out and saying, hello, nice to see, wonderful to see you. Really is lovely to see all of your faces. And I'm conscious too that there's some watching at the venue in Marcross. Hello, dear people up at the venue. You hope you're enjoying the presence of the Lord as we are here. I'm also aware there's quite a number who are watching online and there's some quite big health issues going on. I just want to say to you, you're not forgotten, okay? You're in our thoughts, our hearts, and our prayers. We're praying for you where some of you are going through some big challenges. So, uh, hello, everyone. And it's wonderful that, that, that I, I, we've had the prayer meeting earlier on this morning. Those verses in the book of Revelation came to me how John had that vision of Jesus walking amongst the candlesticks. Candlesticks were the church, picture of the churches, and Jesus walking around. And I want you to think this morning, he's here. The Lord Jesus, the risen, reigning Lord Jesus is here. And he's walking around. And he want, he's, I think as, as I speak this morning, he will be standing in front of many, many of you. And you'll, you'll know something of the presence of the Lord as we go through this word this morning. So, uh, Lord, we pray, come and, come and speak to us. We love it when you speak to us. So grateful. We pray that you'd be speaking to us this morning. In these next few moments, in Jesus' name, amen. I've got to resist picking people out. I'm, no, stop it. Okay. So this, we're starting in this book of Galatians, and um, the, the theme that, that we've, we've given to this series is true freedom. True freedom. And, and you've probably noticed in that the culture that we live in, it, it kind of prizes itself on the whole thing of Freedom, personal freedom, the freedom of the of the individual. It's kind of a, you know, yeah, of course, that's we believe totally in the, you know, that we fight for it. And yet, there seem to be more people than ever who are tied up with all kind of phobias and fears and addictions. It it just doesn't correspond, doesn't correlate. You can have all the money in the world and be at the top of your game, and still be in a, a real mess, not free. And unfortunately, the same can be true of Christians. The, 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 you, those wonderful words in the Bible, he who the sun sets free is free indeed. And yet, amazingly, there would seem to be a lot of Christians who are not walking free, but are uptight and fearful and kind of feel like they're climbing a wall and they're not living free. So freedom is a word you're going to hear a lot these next few weeks. It's, Paul uses that word about 28 times in his letters. Freedom, he's passionate about freedom. And so are we as his ambassadors today, okay? It's a really important word, an important theme, and it's central to this book of Galatians. And I'm going to read just five verses, and I'm in Galatians chapter 1, verses 1 to 5. That's all I'm allowed. And uh, we'll see what the Lord says to us this morning. Okay, are you ready? Galatians chapter 1 and verse 1. Paul, an apostle 
sent not from men nor by a man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead and all the brothers and sisters with me to the churches in Galatia. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. I'm astonished that you're quickly deserting the one who called you. Stop. I'm not allowed to go any further. That's next time. Okay. This letter is radical, really. It is, it's explosive. It's absolutely radical. It's given rise to huge upheaval and transformation, both in individuals and across continents, really. I'm not exaggerating. I want to tell you about three, three young men, okay, three young guys in their 20s and 30s, okay. Let's call them Will, Charlie, and John, okay. Three young guys, late, about 29, early 30s, young guys. They knew about Christianity. They, they did. They really knew about it, but, but they, they just knew there was something missing, Okay, they knew there was something missing. I'm, of course, talking about William Holland, Charles Wesley, and John Wesley. They were young men. They were, they were uh, uh, William Holland that was 27. Uh, young men, okay, not old dudes like me. Young men, passionately seeking. Okay, they were in London together. And in his diary, William Holland said this. Reading the eighth chapter of Romans, eight, Romans 8, okay, there's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set us free from the law of sin and death. He's reading Romans 8, okay. I was conscious that I was not in the state there described. I became very uneasy. And I made a diligent search in books treating of faith in Christ. And I was providentially directed to Martin Luther's commentary on the epistle to Galatians. So I carried it round to Charles Wesley, who was sick at, at Mr. Bray's, and as a pre very precious treasure that I had found. And there we sat down together, Charles reading the preface aloud. Okay, and I'm going to read those words aloud now, what he read. Okay, we're in... This is, this is, uh, okay, this is Luther's commentary. Okay, here we go. Imagine... Two worlds, one heavenly, the other earthly. In these, there are two kinds of righteousness, quite separate from each other. The righteousness of the law is earthly and has to do with the earthly things, what you do and what you don't do. And by it, we do good works. But as the earth can only produce fruit if it's first watered and made fertile from above, so, by the righteousness in the law, doing many things, we do nothing unless we're first made righteous without any merit or work of ours by Christian righteousness, which has nothing to do with the righteousness of the law or earthly uh, righteousness. This, is right, this righteousness is heavenly. We receive it from heaven heaven. We don't have it of ourselves. 
but it's worked in us by grace. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, just as we've borne the likeness of the earthly man, we're going to bear the likeness of the man from heaven. That is the new man in the new world, the Lord Jesus, where there's no law and no sin, remorse, no sting of conscience, no death, but rather perfect joy and righteousness, grace, peace, salvation, and glory. So then, do we do nothing to obtain this righteousness? No, nothing at all. Listen to this. Back to the story. Okay, where was I? I'm there. Nothing at all. At the words, what? Have we then nothing to do? No, nothing. But only accept of him who of God is made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. At that moment, there came such a power over me, I can't well describe it. My great burden fell off in an instant. My heart was so filled with peace and love, I burst into tears. I almost thought I saw our Saviour. My companions... Perceiving me so affected, they fell on their knees and they prayed for me. When I afterwards went into the street, I could scarcely feel the ground I trod upon. A few days later, John Wesley recorded those words in his diary. My heart was strangely warm. That led to the Great Awakening. Hundreds of thousands of people came to know Jesus. The shockwaves of those three young men understanding the grace of God sent shockwaves across the world. We were driving around Norfolk this week and Wesleyan Chapel, every, every other village. Astonishing. Hundreds of thousands of people. Similarly, 200 years earlier, Martin Luther, weighed down with the baggage of trying to earn his way to heaven, he signed up for the strictest monastery. He scrubbed the floors, beat himself up. He went on pilgrimages. He, he did everything up those, the, scale, the stones of the, the steps of the Scala Sancta in Rome. And he, and he was troubled until he actually one day was lecturing on the book of Romans. And he read about a righteousness from heaven. And it led to one man standing in front of the emperor, Charles V. He could have had his head not chopped off in seconds. Will you denounce all these books you've written? And, and they said, we'll give, you, we'll give you overnight to think about it. And he, he went back before the court the next morning. I mean, this is the emperor. And you know those famous words, Charles Wesley. Here I stand. I can do no other. It's the grace of God, saved by grace alone. <laughs> you get the idea. This is radical. This is wonderful. Paul's writing to Christians in southern Turkey, just above the, on the Mediterranean. He, he'd been there on the first and second missionary journey. The people had come to, to hear about Jesus and the Messiah, the one who came to save lost people. The churches had been planted. And he'd, 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 he'd heard that these new Christians are getting misled 
that they're, they're getting back into rules and regulations. Uh, and, he heard, and as soon as he heard it, he, he wrote urgently. That's why I had to, couldn't resist the, the next verse. I'm astonished. Usually when you're writing a letter, when Paul writes letters, he finds some good things to say about them first. He usually does. He usually says, oh, I'll slow down. He usually says something like, we thank God for you. Oh, lovely to hear what God's doing in your life. No. I'm shocked. I'm shocked that you're turning away from the pure gospel of grace and taking on board all those rules and regulations all over again. So I've got three points, which I'm going to go quite quickly through. Number one, enjoying Christian freedom, what it really is. Secondly, underestimating Christian freedom, why Paul is so crazy, annoyed. And thirdly, encountering Christian freedom where we can find it. So let's look at this first one, enjoying Christian freedom. What is it? What is it? Well, let me take you to one word in verse 4. Look at it. But the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us. Rescue. Anyone ever watch those air sea rescue things? Yeah? Watch, uh, you know, you, you surely, we, we live near the sea, surely. Air sea rescue, you with me? Now, when the helicopter comes over, what happens? Do they throw out a manual and say, read that, get a grip, you'll soon get the idea, and you'll be all right? Do they? What do they do? They come down. They come down. And they get hold of this poor person who is struggling, about to expire. That is the message of what Jesus has done for you and me. He didn't throw you a manual to say, read it, get a grip, get some discipline in your life, and you'll be okay. He came down because you needed rescuing, and you couldn't do it on your own. You couldn't. That's the gospel. This word rescue, it's, it's not used in many places in the New Testament, but it's used when Paul is speaking about, he's preaching just after the day of Pentecost, and he's speaking about the story of the children of Israel. There they are in Egypt, and they're, in a, they're, under, they're in slavery, and they're in a mess in Egypt, and it's, it's, it's just painful. And there's those lovely words with the burning bush when God says to Moses, I've seen their, their, their pain. I've heard their groaning. And I've come down to rescue them. Same word. Come to rescue them. They're in slavery. They, they're desperate. This is Christian freedom. This is what it is. You need rescuing. I need rescuing. This is what it is, okay? And 
just to make the point, what do we need rescuing from? You don't really need me to tell you that this world is dominated by destructive evil forces. It's obvious, isn't it? Look in the Sunday papers. There's evil forces, people just stuck in the grip of all kinds of habits and all the stuff. Oh, gosh, I don't even want to use your imagination. All the addictions, all the pain, all the mess. The Bible puts it like this. We're going to read chapter four, Galatians 4. It will come up in a few weeks' time. We were in slavery under the elemental spiritual forces of the world. That's why you need saving. But when this time had fully come, God sent his son, think S-E rescue, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sons. Because you're his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts and the spirit calls out, Abba, Father. Oh, I hope I get that passage to preach on. That is just wonderful. You're no longer a slave. You're sons and daughters. And since you're his children, he's made you an heir. Isn't that wonderful? This is what real Christian freedom is. You're trapped. Think prison camp. You can't just walk out. You can't just have a New Year's resolution and walk out. That might help a little bit. But you need rescuing. You, you need pulling out of the, the, the storm, given a new life. That's Christian freedom. That's the, the, the gospel. The gospel, you know, means good news. That's what it is. The good news of Christianity, the dramatic story of the air sea rescue, Jesus coming down to rescue you and me. And the purpose of Jesus' death wasn't just so you could be forgiven, wonderful though that is. You were forgiven so you could walk free and enjoy new life knowing Jesus God is your father. Do you see? Free in order to live. Forgiven in order to live free. This is the gospel. Do we have to do nothing? No, nothing. Some of you might be thinking, wow, that's a bit dangerous. Can I just then do anything? Can I just go crazy and it's okay, I can do anything. Well, here's the thing. When you have encountered this wonderful air-sea rescue, when you've understood the grace of God, (laughs) it changes you. It changes you, really. Listen to this. Titus 2.11 says this. The grace of God has appeared and offers salvation to all people, it teaches us to say no to ungodly and worldly passions. The grace of God, oh, Lord, your amazing grace for me. Why on earth would I want to walk back into that mess? Why on earth would I want to watch that stuff? Of course I don't want to do that. 
I've discovered the grace and kindness of God. It is dangerous. Grace is dangerous. But it's powerful, the grace of God. It really, really, really is. I hope you're getting the message. Grace, if you have been to this church for more than a couple of weeks, you will have heard about the grace of God. The undeserved favour of God. And if you've been coming for more than a month, you will have heard my favourite quote outside the Bible. I'm sorry, you're going to get it again. I'm, so, I'm sorry. This, this, this quote I'm going to read you, I can honestly say, has changed my life. And I've kind of learnt it because it's become so important for me over the last 30 odd years. I'm going to read it to you. J.I. Packer, Knowing God. What matters supremely is not the fact that I know God, but the larger fact which underlies it, the fact that he knows me. I'm graven on the palms of his hands. I'm never out of his mind. All his knowledge, all my knowledge of him depends on his sustained initiative in knowing me. Wow. I know him because he first knew me. And he continues to know me. He knows me as a friend, one who loves me. And there's no moment when his eye is off me or his attention distracted from me. No moment when his care falters. This is momentous knowledge. And there's unspeakable comfort, but the kind of comfort that energizes in knowing that God is constantly taking knowledge of me in love and watching over me for my good. There's tremendous relief in knowing that his love for me is utterly realistic. Listen to this. I'm going to say it again. His love is is tremendous relief in knowing his love is utterly realistic because it's based at every point on prior knowledge of the worst about me so that no discovery can now disillusion him about me the way I'm so often disillusioned with myself and quench his determination to bless me. Isn't that wonderful? I've got to go on a bit. There's great incentive to worship and love God in the thought that for some unfathomable reason, he wants me as his friend and desires to be my friend and has given his son to die for me in order to bring that about. That is the grace of God. Thank you. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Hallelujah. Oh, gosh. It is life-changing. Number two, underestimating Christian freedom. Why is Paul so concerned? He really, really, really is. Because all too often, people who hear the good news, the gospel, they kind of get tied up with all kinds of baggage as well. Ah, oh, but you've got to start doing this. You've got to start dressing like that. You've got to start this, that, and the other. And Paul is cross. No. It's a bit like, you know, people want to belong, don't they? We all, people like to belong. And so there's sort of um, uh, 
sort of park, markers of belonging. You know, you might wear a, I don't know, some sort of logo on your whatever. Um, or you, you, because people want to belong, they you, you can all too quickly come under rules and different regulations and, and behaviours, and they're, they're spending time trying to do the right thing. And Paul's saying, no. Because all that stuff leads to two things. It either leads to insecurity and fear. Oh, do, oh, oh am I in yet? Am I, am I okay? Or at least a pride. I'm doing so well. Aren't I doing very, very well? It's all rubbish. And that's why Paul's cross. I can do no better here than read a few words from um, Eugene Peterson. He's written a lovely little book on Galatians. It's called Travelling Light. It's a great title of a book, isn't it? Travelling Light. No baggage. Travelling Light. Anyway, he wrote this, if I can find it. I'm all over the place this morning. Okay. Eugene Peterson. When men and women get their hands on religion... One of the first things they often do is turn it into an instrument for controlling others. We've heard too much about that lately, haven't we? Either putting on or keeping them in their place. The history of such religious manipulation and coercion is it's long and tedious. Saul of Tarsus, that's Paul, was doing his diligent best to add another chapter to this dreary history. He was going around making sure... Jews were towing the line until one day he was converted by Jesus to something radically and entirely different, a free life in God through Jesus. Paul learned that God was not an impersonal force to be used to make people behave in certain ways, but a personal saviour who sets us free to live a free life. God did not coerce us from without, but set us free from within. Paul is setting off now to tell others and introducing, inviting everyone he meets into this new free life. And a few years later, when Paul heard that religious leaders of the old school had come into those first churches and called his views and authority into question and reintroducing all the old ways herding all these freedom-loving Christians back into the corral of religious rules and regulations, he was furious. That's why he wrote Galatians, to defend this wonderful good news, the gospel of grace, rescue that is the heart of the gospel. And that one day, you can read about that one day, he was, you can read about in Acts chapter 9, he was persecuting Christians. He was on the, on the road to Damascus, there he was, on the road to Damascus, breathing out murderous threats, it says in verse 1. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and he heard a voice, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who, who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I'm Jesus, who you're persecuting. Now get up, go in the city, and you'll be told what you must do. 
The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard a sound but saw nothing. When he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. I'm on my last point now, encountering freedom. How do we encounter this freedom? Through a personal encounter with Jesus. That's what, Saul, that's what happened to him. He knew all the books. He'd read the manual. But he needed a personal encounter with Jesus. And on the road to Damascus, that's what happened. He didn't earn it or deserve it. He wasn't seeking it. But he encountered the grace of God. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that absolutely beautiful? This is the grace of God. Comes through the personal encounter with Jesus. He was amazed by the grace, the undeserved favor of God. Folks, I trust that through this series, some of you, some of us, will, well, not well, perhaps many of us encounter afresh the grace of God, the undeserved favor favor of God. Others, perhaps for the first time, what do we have to do? Nothing? No, nothing. Wow. Wow. And when we experience the grace of God like that, it brings about a response of love that says, oh, Lord, like Paul said, what, what must I do? And got up and was baptized Baptism, what a, what a great day to be baptised. Easter Sunday. Oh, well. Can I get baptised again? No, all right. What, what a wonderful day. What a wonderful day. Easter Sunday. Baptism. Going down in the waters. Dying to the old. Oh, no. End of all the old life. Raised in newness of life by the grace of God. What do we have to do? Nothing. Just put your faith in what Jesus has done and let amazing grace change your heart. Isn't this beautiful? Isn't this absolutely beautiful? We're going to break bread in a moment. Perhaps the band could come up. Paul's testimony. Here's a trustworthy saying he wrote to Timothy. Christ came into the world to save sinners of whom I'm the worst. Great Apostle Paul. But for that reason, I was shown mercy, so that in me, the worst of sinners, I was, I was a real mess. Jesus Christ might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. Again, in Ephesians 2, he says this about us as Christians. Because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins. It's by grace you've been saved. Now, let me say this. Have you noticed dead people can't do anything? Have you spotted that? Dead people can't do anything. You were dead in your trespasses and sin. He made you alive. That is the grace of God. Dead people can't even read the book. Dead people need to be awakened. Something needs to happen in a dead person. 
And I want to say this morning, maybe there's something of a, maybe something, something is happening in your life and you're starting to ask questions and you're starting to wonder. I, I want to warn you, that's probably the grace of God beginning to work in your heart because dead people don't feel anything. And the fact that you're feeling something, you might be feeling a bit of guilt. You might be feeling a bit of, I don't know what it is, but you, maybe you're starting your journey. I want to tell you that's the grace of God starting to work in your life. Because if you feel nothing this morning, that you're dead. But when the grace of God begins to touch your life, you begin to get hungry, dissatisfied, longing. It's what the grace of God does for us. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's blessed us in the heavenly realm with every spiritual blessing in Christ because he chose us. I'm not going to speak too much about this. Chose. That does not mean he had, he had foreknowledge of what you would decide. doesn't mean that. The word chose means he selected he selected you. Don't, I, I'm not preaching on this this morning. I just want you to know this. He chose you. Don't argue with, with me about that doesn't sound fair. It's, God is a righteous... I don't, I, I don't understand. He chose. This is the grace of God. We're going to break bread. We're going to sing a lovely song, Grace, You Showed Me Grace. Is that all right? Can we do that one? We're going to sing a lovely song. We're going to break bread. And I want to say to you this morning, if you are anywhere on the journey that I've talked about this morning, I invite you to receive the undeserved grace of God. When you take the bread and the wine, you don't just come to take the bread and the wine when you feel okay. You come and take the bread and the wine, especially when you don't feel okay, to remind yourself it's not about you. It's about what he has done for you. It's about what he has done for you. And if maybe you've never, ever given your life to the Lord Jesus and this morning there's something bubbling in you, please come to a prayer room afterwards. I'll be there. I'd love to talk to you and pray with you because this is the most wonderful thing in the whole world to know the grace of God. If you're, if you're feeling condemned, maybe you're a Christian and for some reason you're condemned. No, 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 no. No condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. Come to the cross. Take the bread and the wine. Lord Jesus, thank you. No condemnation. So we'll sing perhaps a verse, and then after the first verse, make your way to the tables. Take, if, you don't, if you don't know the Lord, please don't feel pressure. I don't want anyone to act out of pressure today. If you don't know the Lord Jesus, stay right where you are. Enjoy the atmosphere of what's happening here. Come and speak to us afterwards if you'd like to. Shall we stand? Would you join me? Oh, the grace of God. Lord, I thank you. Amazing. Come, Holy Spirit, please. Come, I pray that those here who...
tied up in knots, condemnation. Come, precious Holy Spirit. May the beautiful grace of God flood over their hearts. Come, Holy Spirit. Some people feeling condemned and failures and all the rest of it. Come, Holy Spirit. Take it away. Saved by grace alone. Let's sing this first verse. You ready? You show me grace. Grace, you show me grace. You lifted my shame. Join me with loving kindness. Washed white and snow. You have redeemed. and the wine. Grace, you show me. 
Some of you will know a lovely song, The Grace of God Upon My Life. It's not dependent on me, what I've done or deserved. I wonder if we could put the words up. I, can't, I hear a chord behind me that works. If you could put the, the words up, The Grace of God Upon My Life. In these moments, this is just allow the Holy Spirit to be working in your heart, speaking to you. Allow the Lord to speak to you. It goes a bit like this. The grace of God upon my life is not dependent upon me, on what I have done, what I've done or deserved, mm, or deserved, or deserved. Oh, there we go. Mm, but a gift of mercy. But a gift of mercy from God which has been given unto me because of his love his love it's an ending here we go ending unfailing it is an ending unfailing Unfailing, unlimited, unlimited, unmerited, unmerited. The grace of God given unto me. It's unending, really is. It is unending, unfailing, unfailing, unlimited. Unlimited, unending, unending. The grace of God given unto me. Isn't that beautiful? Oh, Lord, it is unending, unfailing, unlimited. Unmerited, the grace of God. 